and I intended to get to first product uh, uh, and then go out and raise a Series A and kind of go down the, the, the typical fundraising path. And I got a little preempted in that where um, one of the data miner investors reached out and said, actually, um, I'm going to be in Bozeman. This was totally a ruse. Uh, I'm going to be in Bozeman and um, I'd like to, to have dinner with you and, and talk about what you're doing. And that turned into a, to a round. So um, I was lucky in that I didn't have to fundraise the, the first round. This is Found in the Rockies, a podcast about the startup ecosystem in the Rocky Mountain region, featuring the founders, funders, and contributors, and most importantly, the stories of what they're building. I'm Les Craig from Next Frontier Capital, and on today's super fun episode, we have Mike Meyer, who is the founder and CEO of Quick, Q-U-I-Q, which is helping redefine the ways that customers are communicating with companies. Mike is going to talk to us about the history of his involvement in the Bozeman tech community, the origin story of Quick, and what he thinks may be in store for the future of conversational AI. Hi, Mike. Thanks so much for joining us. Before we get into Quick, why don't you tell me a little bit about you and what started your love for computer science and engineering? Sure. So um, I'll try not to bore you with too many, many details, but... In a nutshell, I am a uh, technologist um, masquerading as a CEO. And uh, I started my career um, in computer science. I worked for uh, a number of years way back in the day at Bell Labs uh, when that was a thing. And um, I was basically interested in cut and code and doing really uh, technical work. And in those days, um, one of the projects that I worked on um, had to do with some uh, customer-facing, um, like, trouble ticketing system. We, hmm. we received alarms from um, PBXs that were in the basements of uh, large buildings and, and handled, like, the, the uh, communications failures uh, of those systems. And Boy, so, Bell, Bell Labs was really leaning forward at the, <laughs> with, that, with that sort of an approach. And, and not surprising. That's what Bell Labs did, telecommunications <laughs> equipment. And, and I worked on telecom. So... Um, that actually got me exposed a little bit to um, customer service and, and customer experience. And as my career progressed and I started to, to think about doing other things, um, about that same time, uh, the internet was coming up. And to, you know, folks on the podcast today can't see that I have a little bit of gray hair. Um, so I've been around this industry for, for a little while. Uh, but the internet was coming up and I decided that um, the next stage of my career, I should be part of an internet startup. And at that point in time, I moved from New Jersey uh, to Bozeman, Montana. And Bozeman was small compared to what it is today. That was 20 plus years ago. And uh, joined uh, this startup called Right Now Technologies. And that was a good run. Um, we uh, went public in 2004, eventually uh, grew to 1,200 people. We were $225 million in, in run rate and revenue, and uh, 400 people based in Bozeman. Um, and we eventually uh, got acquired by Oracle after going public in, in 2004. Um, and uh, it was a, a $1.8 billion exit. So pretty good run. We built a um, really great company that had good employees, good culture, uh, and some great customer relationships. And for, for our listeners who may be, I mean, if, you're, if you live in Bozeman, you've heard of Right Now Technologies. But I mean, this was, this was the company that really started it all in tech. 
in this region. And fr I mean, frankly, in Montana, right, Mike? It, I think at the, the time, and maybe this is still the case, um, we were the first company to, to ever have an IPO that, that was based in, in Montana. Um, yeah, yeah, we, we definitely put um, tech on the map. And, and you know, kudos to the, the founder of um, right now, um, Greg Gianforte. He had the kind of the, the vision that um, the world was flat before the book got written. So in order yeah. to build a great company, you just needed uh, internet connection, good source of talent, and a good quality of life where people wanted to live. And yeah. um, that was the, the basis for me picking up and moving from New Jersey to, to Montana all those years ago. Yeah, amazing. And you were, you must have been like employee number, what, seven. three, four, seven <laughs> as the CTO. <laughs> Unbelievable. It's so great. And I, I, I got to say, that's probably how you earned the reputation. Or I've heard people say, you know, you're Mike Meyer, the, the godfather of tech in, in Montana. That's what I've, I've heard you've been... Folks have called you. Do you know that? Have you heard that before? I wondered if that was going to come out in this interview. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it had to because we had to make it like go full on at that uh, that nickname. So, but su I, I super think, fun. Uh, you know, I think that's Will Price that that yeah uh, that <laughs> yeah. has coined that term. Um, it is. So I'm not laying any claim to to be a godfather. That's for sure. <laughs> I, I thought maybe like that meant that if you are a tech founder, you're going to wake up in the morning with like a horse head in your bed. And then Mike put it there. That's not exactly. that's not the case. Yeah. Uh, my, my goal is not to, to torpedo any other tech startups. <laughs> awesome. Great. Good to know. We just wanted to clear the air. Uh, so that's good. Uh, what about after after right now? What what was what was next? I mean, to have that much of an impact on the ecosystem. Amazing. What the outcome there? What do you do after that? What's what's next to top that? You know, after we got acquired uh, by Oracle, um, I worked at Oracle for uh, a little while and, and really was really focused on um, kind of helping uh, the business transform from an on-premise software business to a cloud-based subscription business and um, worked on that for uh, a little while and, and then decided I really wanted to return to a small organization and, and get back to kind of the startup culture and speed of innovation, et cetera. And so I joined a company called Datameyer that was uh, based in New York City uh, mm -hmm. because uh, I met my wife a number of years ago and she was based in New York City. So I, I actually end up spending a portion of my time uh, between New York and, and Bozeman. And so um, worked at, at Datameyer for a, a period of time and really uh, helped to, to get Datameyer uh, started. I was the first uh, head of engineering and, and VP of uh, product. and. Uh, took a team of about 10 engineers to um, a team of 50 in, in about a year and a half. And cool. in that time, period of time, raised a, a pretty big uh, fundraising round. And data miner is, is off to the races. They're talking about doing an IPO uh, in, in the future. They've raised a, a monster round uh, about a year yeah. and a half ago. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, they raised in, in Bozeman they, now, too, as well. The, which is unbelievable. And I think a lot of people would be surprised to know that. But I mean, yeah, I mean, this is a company that raised, they raised like a, like 475 yeah. million, I think, at a 4 billion plus valuation their last last round. I mean, unbelievable company. And uh, you you were, were, was that the only engineering team initially was in Bozeman? Uh, so the when founding? I joined, there was a, a the, the original uh, co-founder uh, and uh, group of engineers were based in New York. And as we grew mm -hmm. the, the team, uh, we added some people in Bozeman. And, and I think that, that data miners continued to, to do that. Um, okay. So I, I had a little bit of influence in bringing some other business to, to Bozeman. Uh, but I left data miner um, 
really with the realization that um, my roots in customer service, customer experience, the, I didn't talk about it earlier, but the Right Now solution was used by um, many large brands, folks like Nike and Starbucks and SiriusXM, and it mm -hmm. ran their customer engagement. So if a customer contacted them on, them on the web or email or phone, um, those interactions were handled by hundreds or thousands of agents working inside of the, the Right Now platform. And so that kind of grew on the experience that I had at Bell Labs of working on the customer experience, customer service system there. And, um, you know, after spending that much time in the space, I had the observation that the way that people communicated in their personal lives, and this was 2015, the way I mm -hmm. communicated in my personal life um, was a lot of text messaging. And based on my prior experience in the contact center, uh, it, there was no reason why contact centers couldn't be driven on text messaging instead of the phone. And so I started this business, uh, left data miner to start this business with that realization and mm -hmm. um, had a technical uh, co-founder, Bill O'Neill, who I previously worked with at, um, uh, at Oracle. And uh, we basically set off to um, do the, the next generation of B2C communications uh, based on text messaging. Amazing. I mean, and, and, and just to remind people, you just said it, but I want to emphasize, I mean, this was 2015, still very visionary in terms of like, like nowadays people say like, of course, of course people are using text messaging for business. Like, why wouldn't they? That's what we all use to communicate. But I would say back then, I mean, this was pretty, pretty visionary, pretty cutting edge. Was anybody else taking that approach at the time? So at the time, um, the only channels available were SMS and you know, like iMessage, and iMessage wasn't open at that point to us. Mm -hmm. Like those, those were what people used. There was a little bit of Facebook Messenger that wasn't open to us. Um, the year following, um, Facebook Messenger opened for business. Um, Apple Business Chat became a thing, which is a business business communication on top of the the iMessage app on your phone. Um, and at this point in time, we support about a dozen different channels. So um, the world has moved very much in the, the direction that we originally set out to, to do. Um, I, you know, it's, I feel lucky to um, ha have kind of like seen where this was going. And it, there's still, um, I think if you ask someone on the street about their consumer interactions, there's still lots of consumer interactions that don't occur on text, especially with large brands. Um, everybody's probably um, texted with their dentist or their doctor to confirm an appointment, or maybe they got a text message that said their car's ready at the car dealer. But when it comes to, like, I have a problem with my order with a, a large retailer, um, you probably haven't texted with that large retailer. And that's the problem that we're focused on, on changing it quick. Um, because the fact of the matter is, Nobody wants to spend time on a phone, wait for wait on hold. Phone calls are disruptive. There's a whole generation of people that don't use the phone, and email is not uh, immediate. It's not it doesn't it's not urgent enough. Like I I want an answer right now. I want to talk to somebody, but I don't want to make a phone call. And right. It's it's an expectation that we have yeah, as a result exactly. of this new world we live in. Like I want the answer now. Yeah. Like if you want to get something done with family and friends, you send a text message. Right. Why isn't it as easy to deal with a brand as it is your family and friends? Yeah. I mean, certainly with, with, with the right tech and the right tools, it should be just as easy. And there's also this, I feel like culturally, especially younger people, they, they love the asynchronous nature of it, right? Like they don't want to get on the phone. They don't want to call somebody because you could get the same answer on a call, right? But it's, 
it's not the same comfort as like the asynchronous. What, as, and, and let me actually like expand on the, the de definition for those folks who are not kind of familiar with the, the asynchronous term. So asynchronous in the, mm -hmm. the most technical sense is basically a communication that's not ongoing. It has breaks in the, the middle of it and, and it, it, it kind of ebbs and flows. And so when we talk about asynchronous from a text messaging standpoint, it's basically what you do all the time with your friends. So you send somebody a text, um, you might not get a response back right away um, because that person's busy. They, and they'll pick yep. up their phone later and they'll see the text message. Uh, but then when they respond, um, if you're not busy, you can respond right away or you can wait a little bit, bit of time. And that's completely different than interactions today with business, especially on the phone, because you're like, I want to contact this brand. Um, let me schedule 20 minutes of my time so I make sure that there's enough time because like, if we don't get this done in, in the time I have allotted, I'm going to have to start completely over and I've just wasted all the time that, that I, I just invested in this. So um, yeah. it's, a, it's a completely different mindset. We, we see um, comments from uh, satisfied customers who are like, uh, I have three kids. Um, I just put the meal on the table. There's no way I could have gotten this done, uh, but I took care of it during dinner because of text messaging. Interesting. I'm sure there's like a thousand of those kind of very unique sort of use cases, but yeah, very cool. Before we, I'd love to I'd love to talk more about Quick in a second and kind of get get, get that whole origin story and the development of, of, of the company. But first, so just to rehash, so you, you, know, you had your fingerprints over uh, a, a billion dollar company in, Mon in Montana, number one, fingerprints over a second company that, you know, is, has now reached that sort of, EV ceiling, um, not based in Montana, but I mean, super, super exciting. But there's actually another one too in Idaho that you've worked with, a company called Cradle Point. Can you tell us about that or how that uh, evolved, that opportunity for you? Sure. Um, it, it, you know, in the um, friend of a friend category, uh, in the, the right now ecosystem, I knew someone who was getting involved in a, a startup uh, in Boise, Idaho. And uh, in the early days uh, of that startup, uh, the, start, the company name is Cradle Point. Uh, in the early days of that startup, um, they had the vision that you could use cellular data to provide um, internet services. Um, and if you build a device that had multiple modem cards in it, you could actually have quite a bit of uh, bandwidth across a cellular network. And so um, I made a, a Series A investment in the, the business and uh, was friendly and you know as a somebody who worked in technology and, and has built some some pretty big software products um, uh, kind of gave them advice throughout the the life cycle and, and eventually um, i joined the, the company as a, a board member as the, the the business started to grow and that was a great run um, cradle point um, I'm not, not going to take that very much credit for this. So, you know, the credit I'll take is is probably I pushed them towards the cloud uh, pretty hard a few times, and, and I pushed cool. them away from doing something on premise a few times. Uh, but besides that, um, the team was just amazing, and um, you know, I, I, there's a lot of uh, similarities between uh, Boise and Bozeman in terms of the the startup culture and the the tech culture, and. Um, they built a, a great business. Ericsson uh, bought Cradle Point about a year and a half, I guess, uh, ago um, at a $1.1 billion valuation. There's yep. 800 people in the, in the company now. Um, really great success story. It's an amazing success story for, for Boise and for Idaho, certainly. I mean, maybe maybe we should actually call you the unicorn whisperer, not the godfather of tech. Uh, Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm teasing, Mike. I'm teasing. No, but it, it's, it's, it's exciting. You know, people don't know 
about some of these great success stories that have happened in our region. And, and you know, I like to say, like, it's just the beginning for some of these ecosystems. I mean, even even our own here in Bozeman, I feel like it's it's just the beginning. Even You know, right now is about 10 years ago, but we're, we're, we're still it's 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 exciting to see some of the some of the spin outs that have have happened as a result, for instance, quick. Right. And, and I mean, you're you're right, Lesson. It's um, there's been a lot of bad things about covid. Um, one of the, the positive things is kind of the, the change in work dynamic, especially in tech, um, where everybody doesn't have to be physically at the same location. And that's made it a lot easier for people to live in places like Bozeman. Um, you know, in the past, um, in the, especially in the right now era, I spent a lot of time in my recruiting process trying to convince people to, to move to Bozeman to, to join the, the team. And that was actually not as hard as you might think if you connected with somebody who um, was just starting a family or was an avid skier. Um, I mean, back in the day, we had a, uh, right now, had a billboard on 191 on the way up to Big Sky that was like, like it here, you could live here, you know, that, that type of thing. Um, so convince people to move to Bozeman was, was not terrible. Uh, but now there's, anybody can live in Bozeman and work remotely. And you can work for a tech startup, or you can found a tech startup and be in Bozeman and have the rest of your team. So there's just a ton more flexibility in a work location and a work environment in this kind of Zoom-infested post-COVID world. Yeah. Well, and in 2015, when you started Quick, uh, what what was sort of what was the sentiment back then? I mean, obviously things were changing. It wasn't it wasn't the same environment it is now, but. How did you, you know, tell us a little bit about how you got started, how you raised money, all that, all the fun, fun origin stuff. Sure. Um, so, uh, as I mentioned, I had a co-founder and, and um, because of the, the team that I had built at, at right now, um, you know, that was a great team. We had in engineering, there were a couple hundred people um, and there were uh, a bunch of what I would call 10Xers. And, you know, the 10Xer is somebody who is... Um, at such an extreme level as an engineer that um, their individual output is actually like 10 uh, regular engineers. And, mm -hmm. you know, we had a very strong engineering team. And when I started this business, I was able to, to pull over uh, a number of really exceptional people. Um, and not just people that were currently working at Oracle, but people who had left Oracle and, and were working at other places as well. And I was able to, to convince them to, to join back. So um, I started the business and um, you know, we were uh, a, a group of it was basically 10 engineers and me, uh, and we were focused on uh, building the next generation of B2C communications, essentially like based on text messaging, asynchronous, like we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. And um, I had intended to get to first product. Luckily, um, I was able to, to fund some of the business myself, and I intended to get to first product uh, uh, and then go out and raise a series A and kind of go down the, the, the typical fundraising path. And I got a little preempted in that where um, one of the data miner investors reached out and said, actually, um, I'm going to be in Bozeman. This was totally a ruse. Uh, I'm going to be in Bozeman and um, I'd like to, to have dinner with you and, and talk about what you're doing. And that turned into a, to a round. So um, wow. I was lucky in that I didn't have to fundraise the, the first round. What a great way to write off that business trip. Hey, uh, <laughs> I'm going to be in Bozeman. <laughs> Mike, let's have dinner. No, that's amazing. And and it was a 
this is a prominent. I mean, you had a you had a really strong series seed. Is this, you called it a seed seed syndicate. So we we actually called it a series A. Um, we called it an A. Okay. It was it was Venrock uh, was yep. the the investor, and and they've been a fantastic partner, and and you know, um, I I got to thank them for the the vision that they had for what we were building. So off to the races. I mean, and that may have been the first. I'm trying to think back. One of the first kind of tier one. VC investments probably in our state in terms of leading around, right? Because this was before Summit led the big Onyx round. Like, I mean, this was like one of the first probably. In, in right now's history, um, right now is probably the, the first. Um, uh, Summit Partners was an investor and actually the, the first investor at um, uh, right now was Greylock. Uh, oh, that's right. That's so, right. So, but, so yeah. But it was a... That was pretty far along in the business. Wasn't that like a Series C equivalent? Was, or? We, we were, uh, the right now uh, journey was bootstrapped for a significant period of time. So that yeah. was a couple years into the, the business, if I remember correctly. I see. Cool. So you, so you got the Series A closed. You got Venrock on your team. Uh, what, what, take us through what happened next. How did, how did, the, how did things evolve? So, you know, again, because of the, the right now experience, um, we had relationships with uh, a bunch of large brands. And so as soon as we got first product done, um, we started to, to market and, and sell product. And um, I think if I remember correctly, we went from, um, it's been a little while now, so this was 2016. Um, we went from uh, zero to a, a million dollars in ARR in about 11 months. And wow. um, you know that that was leveraging some of the the network. We we had like Office Depot uh, as a, a an earlier cli early client. You know a Fortune uh, 100 business. Um, it, so um, it's taken off very well. Um, the business continues to grow to this point in time. We've got uh, a couple hundred clients, um, large brands, folks like um, Overstock, um, Men's Warehouse, uh, Spirit Airlines. Um, and what we do for these businesses is basically um, we make their customer interactions more enjoyable for their customers because they want to be uh, using text messaging. And at the same time, we help the business reduce their costs because mm -hmm. the most inefficient form of customer service is having an agent be on the phone uh, talking to a human. And our platform uh, makes those interactions more efficient because one agent can ha handle multiple text messages just like you text with multiple friends. Um, so mm -hmm. that, that's an area of efficiency. Uh, but we also um, have some deep capabilities in conversational AI, which allows us to automate the, the routine uh, interactions. And those capabilities came through an acquisition um, that we did uh, in April of last year, about a year ago. and. Um, we acquired a partner that was uh, called Snaps. Um, they're based in New York City, and um, they really had one of the best best-in-class solutions for conversational AI. And so, you, you know, take the the next generation platform for asynchronous messaging and the next generation contact center, the the agent environment. Couple that with a really great uh, conversational AI automation, and um, the two things together are something that doesn't exist anywhere else in the market. That's so cool. And I, I got to say, though, conversational AI, that sounds like kind of a polite way of saying bots. Is that <laughs> so, so th that's like bots um, the way they should work, not the way that, uh, that you might associate with like, oh, I'm talking to a chat bot. Well, a chat bot yeah. is just, it's just like chatter. It's not very useful. Um, right. Conversational right. AI is the interaction should be at the same level as if you were spe speaking with a human agent. Now, mm -hmm. you know, or to, to be realistic, um, conversational AI is also 
um, very well applied at specific problems. And it can, you know, there's no way that a, a conversational AI bot can replace a human customer service agent. Like the, the human's level of knowledge and, and experience mm -hmm. um, is like, it's not even comparable. But if it comes to a, a particular domain, like I'm a retailer and I want to answer questions about where's my order because everybody's having shipping delays these days, um, that totally could be handled by conversational AI and, and very efficiently by conversational AI. Very cool. And I mean, I, you, you are obviously are a, a, you know, a, a technologist at your core. In, in you know five years ago, did you anticipate that what you were building was going to go in this direction, or is this a direction you wanted to pursue, or has it evolved in this direction? We're pretty much straight down the middle of the fairway from where we started. Um, our, mm -hmm. our, our North Star, I'm going to mix metaphors here, uh, our North Star hasn't changed much at all. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I think that um, when we started the business, the, the theory was that phone can be replaced by text messaging. And that's still the, the theory today. Um, we've added a lot more focus on conversational AI, than, so we've augmented our vision um, than when we started. Uh, but that initial premise that um, in the future, the majority of inquiries into a large business, it's no longer going to be the phone. It's going to be asynchronous messaging. That's been 100% hmm. consistent from the very beginning. So what, what happens to the phone then in the future? It never completely goes away. There's always going to be the 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 um, the type of interaction that, that people want to do on the the phone and, and like troubleshooting or complex interactions. Um, but you know the the interactions that we facilitate in text messaging, they can also uh, turn into uh, phone calls. Um, so like at some point in time, you can say, well, this particular issue would be better served if we could just talk through it. Um, can uh. I give you a, a call? So there's, there's the escalation to a phone call. Um, something else we do is to, uh, we call it the multimedia phone call. Uh, but if you're on the phone and you're interacting and, and it's like, um, it's the red wire on the left-hand side. No, it's on the bottom, not the top. Um, it's like 20 questions to try to diagnose something uh, complicated. Um, the yep. agent on the phone can just say, I'm going to send you a text message, respond to that text with a picture of what you're seeing, and we'll stay on the phone and continue to talk about it. Uh, so I we, see. we can also make the phone calls better than they are today. Yeah, it's it's sort of the, the multimedia style approach to like well, whatever's the, the most efficient path, right, to an answer. That's cool. Yep. Very and, cool. And, and these days, um, everybody, even your grandmother, knows how to send a text message with an image. That's right. Although I will say my grandmother, who was such an amazing woman in my life, uh, she passed away a few years ago. She still had a rotary phone at home. So, but she, if she were still alive, she, she would have had to learn alive. to text, text yes, by now. Yeah, yeah, if she was still alive, she'd have an iPhone being sent in text, you know, pictures of sunsets. I think you're right. <laughs> All right. What, uh, so where, where, take us to present. Where, where have you, where have you gotten? You've raised a couple subsequent rounds post Venrock and uh, where's the company now and what's getting, what are you excited about in the future here? Um, so what, what am I excited about? Um, we are focused on um, taking the, the product and the platform, the, the combination of the next generation contact center plus conversational AI. And, uh, you know, on that bell shaped curve of adoption, uh, I'm going to draw this in the, uh, and nobody can see it, uh, but we're still very much on the left side of the bell-shaped curve. We're on the, the apex going up the, the curve. And so um, 
where we're focused is building our go-to-market, um, building awareness, um, contacting large enterprises, and deploying our solution in as many places as, as possible. And one of the things we've seen in the business um, is once we land in an organization, we don't always land in the, the like most uh, prevalent use case, we might land in a, a corner of the organization. We've seen very successful expansions uh, within the organization. So for instance, like if we land inside of a large brand and, and they want to experiment with text messaging, um, that particular landing in a year or two could expand by um, hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean, we've seen contracts that uh, from the initial contract value have gone from three times to, to 50 times um, the initial contract value. And so um, our, our um, value equation is based upon uh, the number of interactions that occur between a business and their consumers. And so um, this co contract scales based upon us taking over volume, in, especially in a, a large contact center that has um, thousands of agents serving millions of, of consumers. Um, so that's, that's what we're focused on. Um, you know, from a, a, a overall business standpoint, um, from a, a growth standpoint and a funding standpoint, um, I am happy to uh, announce that we re recently closed uh, a Series C round. Um, we raised $25 million. Um, we're going to spend the round doing what I just said, um, expanding our go-to-market efforts. Uh, and we're also going to continue to invest in the product because we have a leading position now. Um, the technology doesn't stand still and we're going to invest to maintain that leading position. Congratulations, Mike. That is a very exciting news. So re really excited to see where that takes you. Um, you know, given, given that you are somebody that has been in the Rockies for a while, has touched a lot of, you know, amazing companies that have reached uh, kind of billion dollar, you know, plus in enterprise value, what, what advice would you give to founders? Because, you know, obviously, like this, the quick story is, is an amazing one already and it's being written every day, but like there's been some bumps along the road. There's been challenges. There's always challenges. Like what challenges have you experienced that you think are typical for founders in region? And what advice would you sort of give founders that may be going through those same times? Um, I think the number one thing that makes a startup business turn into something valuable and, and go beyond, you know, achieve the, um, the exit trajectory to um, be a sustainable entity is uh, persistence. And, and so my, my advice to everyone is um, be unbelievably persistent. You know, there, there's two things that, that you need to, to um, be successful. And the, the, my, my team, when they listen to this, they're gonna like roll their eyes because I'm always saying this. Uh, it's kind of- Here like, he goes <laughs> again. <laughs> exactly. Um, smart plus persistence equals success. And smart mm. is probably like 2% of that. Persistence is probably like 98% of that. Um, and I think there's, you know, as a founder, um, you're at the, uh, the buck stops here. You're at, at the end of the decision-making process. So all day long, it feels like you're getting just like no win situation decisions. Like it, it's, it's, you know, the the difficulty of decision only gets to you when the rest of the team decides that like they need to escalate it and so um it, it's there's just going to be lots of adversity lots of hard decisions and um persistence is the only thing that that gets you through it i like it it's simple it's easy to remember and it's very relevant yeah 
Um, what about on networking? What advice would you give to founders? You've built an amazing network of, of both technical people, business mentors, investors, you name it. But what advice would you have to give, would you give to first time founders that are trying to do this right? Good question. And, you know, I think um, as with a lot of things, um, too much of a good thing uh, can be actually detrimental. And so every now and then you run into people who are like spending all their time networking, especially when they're in the very early stages of, of the business where they're like trying to, to meet tons and tons of people. Um, I think the way I look at, at networking is, um, and I enjoy networking, I, I like to, to meet people and talk about what they're doing, but the way I look at uh, networking is um, the interaction that you're gonna have in a network, like don't invest the, your time in something that's not likely to, to pan out. Like for instance, um, you know, if I'm a, a startup and I'm I interested in, I don't know, healthcare, um, don't talk to, don't spend time re net, uh, networking in retail. Like, you know, <laughs> you, you invest, you know, networking itself is not valuable. Networking with a purpose is valuable. So be strategic about um, your network uh, and build a network that, that is um, mutually beneficial because also um, if you're not providing some, some value or some interest to somebody, their interest in, in maintaining the network with you is, is not great as well. So um, be very thoughtful about the, the time that you invest in network and just don't go to coffee for a bunch of people for random reasons. That's great advice. It gets back to like uh, your, your two things. Like if you're going to coffee with a bunch of random people, it's like being dumb and persistent, not yeah. smart. Right? Yeah, exactly. Right. Like there you meet go. lots of people and, and you know, you can probably like get a bunch of friends to go skiing, but it's not going to help you professionally. Yeah. Great. Good advice. Uh, any sort of final predictions about the future of tech in Bozeman or the Rockies at large? Anything you think the future holds for our region in, in the Rockies? I almost hesitate to, to say this because um, I've been in Bozeman for 20 years now, and I'm not sure I want to ad advocate a whole bunch more tech in Bozeman because Bozeman's growing like crazy. Um, but you know, I still am encouraged by um, the tech ecosystem here, um, the the investment and, and that the university is making in computer science, and and um, just like that's going to be a, a continual uh, source of, of talent. Um, but then also. Um, you know that you can be anywhere these days, and uh, I mean I think that teams want to to have a um, maybe a, a geographic central base. Uh, but beyond that, um, you know, if you were interested in if you were listening to this as a potential founder or even somebody who's working in tech currently, and you're like, I'm trying to learn about uh, Rockies tech because I want to move to the Rockies. It's just like move to the Rockies already. Yeah, <laughs> like, there's, I love there's, it. There's no reason why in, in this day yeah. and age, like you, you can't. I love it. I think that's a great ad. It's, it's, it's even better than a billboard on 191. It's like, because you're so right. So many people are just afraid to do it. And it's like, if you just did it, it would all work out. You know? Right. Now that said, yeah. like Bozeman's got lots of traffic lights and congestion and overgrowth <laughs> and everything like that. But so, so maybe another city, but no. <laughs> I hear uh, Wyoming's nice, yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, Mike, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show. I think I speak on behalf of, you know, kind of the whole tech ecosystem across the state. Like, we're so thankful that you made that decision to leave Bell Labs in the, in the late 90s and come out and try something out in Montana. So um, we're excited to continue to follow the future of you and, and quick. Um, and, and on that note, could you please uh, share, tell our audience where they could find out a little bit about you and Quick Online? 
Sure. Um, and I probably should have thrown this in at the beginning. So for those of you who are still listening at the end, uh, to find out more about our business, it's quick, Q-U-I-Q. It's so um, we, we move at the speed of Q-U-I-C-K, um, but that domain, unfortunately, was not available. So we're at Q-U-I-Q. Well, it was available, but it was very expensive, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Great, Mike. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, and uh, and just really great to see you again and, and catch up on your on your story. Thanks, Les. It was a pleasure. A good conversation. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Found in the Rockies. You can find links in the show notes or go to our podcast page at nextfrontiercapital.com to get links and contact information for today's guests. If you like what you heard and want more, please rate, review, and subscribe to get notified as our new episodes drop. We'll see you next time.